Howdy, y'all. That's how, when Pastor Travis is from Texas, when I follow him, that's how I feel like I have to speak, so... Uh, my name's Aaron. If we've not yet had a chance to meet, I'm one of the pastors here. Really glad to have the opportunity to open God's word together tonight. As he said, we are in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And, and, and two things on that. Number one, uh, the last couple of weeks, we've had some pretty strong warning passages to unpack. And so uh, I'm really thankful tonight that we get a more of an encouraging passage because I was afraid you guys were going to think that I was mean. Uh, and then the second thing is, uh, admittedly, this is kind of a confusing passage. The author of Hebrews, the, the anonymous unknown author of Hebrews, is obviously very steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. He's very knowledgeable about the Old Testament, and he is going to string together five or six different books of the Bible, five or six different ideas, all in, in one seamless argument that may be a little bit challenging for you and I to follow. So as we go through this, this passage, this first reading, if you feel a little bit confused, that's okay. We'll spend some time unpacking it, and there's likely others uh, in the room who feel confused as well. With that said, Hebrews 4, verses 1 through 11, we'll read it, I'll pray, and we'll spend some time unpacking it. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken somewhere of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience." May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together, church. God, we thank you for your word. God, we readily acknowledge that what we need are not man's opinions or man's ideas. What we need are your words because your words are, are truth and your words are life. And God, we also admit that this passage is to us a little bit confusing because we don't think uh, as deeply about the Old Testament likely as, as our author here did. And so Holy Spirit, you're, you're present here with us. I pray that you would give us eyes to see, you would give us ears to hear and minds to understand uh, the truths that you're communicating to us here. And God, even more than that, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us soft and teachable hearts that we might be changed and transformed to look more like Jesus. 
God, I pray you'd guard my lips. Help me to only teach that which is in line with your truth from your word. And may all of our attention be focused on Jesus in greater measure. And it's in his name we pray. And everybody said, amen. You know, as we read through that passage, you see these words, rest, resting, Sabbath, work, working, works. You see these words of, of resting and of work repeated over and over again. It's, it's not hard to deduce what the main theme is of this passage. And I would submit to you guys that we as fallen human beings have a dysfunctional relationship with both work and rest. Would you agree? I would actually go so far as to say as Westerners, as Americans, we have an extremely dysfunctional relationship with work and with rest. As a matter of fact, we tend towards one of two primary ditches. We either tend toward a ditch of what we could call workaholism, just working, 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 never taking a break, always grinding, always pushing until exhaustion hits, or unfortunately many people hit burnout. Or we tend towards a laziness ditch because in the Western world, in the United States we, in particular, we have more entertainment options, more ways to kill time. I mean, even think about what we say, killing time. Or, or think about this, more ways to be amused. Did you know in the Greek the word amused means not thinking? That has nothing to do with anything. I was just free of charge tonight, right? We have, we have so many ways to be lazy. And, and actually, if you want to, you can pull statistics that would support, no, we're a workaholic nation. No, we're a lazy nation. So I, I did a little bit of digging this week. I found that in 2011, the, the news organization Reuters did a survey of different countries in the world. They, they looked at how many hours per week they worked, how many vacation days they took, how satisfied people were in their jobs. And they found that the United States is the fifth most workaholic country in the world. Japan was number one, Australia, South Africa, and South Korea, and then the United States came in fifth. In 2014, just last year, Harris Poll did a, a survey, and they found that 75% of Americans don't use all of their vacation days. 15% of Americans don't use any vacation days, and if you did take vacation, 50% of people worked during their vacation. They actually found for, for people who uh, have a, a severe workaholic tendency, they found that their perception of time is different than the average person. People who, who work uh, a ton of hours, they, they would have them do a task and they would say, how long do you think you spent on this task? And their, their perception of time was completely skewed. So when it comes to being workaholics, we're number five. But we can do better. We're the United States, Right? In 2010, the news organization, the Daily Beast, ran a survey, and they were looking for the laziest country in the world, and they, they did things like TV watching per day, calories consumed per day, internet usage per day, and my favorite one, the likeliness to use your free time playing sports. I'm proud to announce that USA is number one in the laziest country in America. <clears throat> It's actually sad, but in 2011, the Center for Disease Control reported that one in three children are overweight or even obese. We know that there's many factors involved in that, but, but always, almost always is uh, an exercise factor, but then also diet because it's, it's easier to go for less healthy food. How many of you know that it takes time and effort and energy and yes, money to eat healthy? 
Interesting little tidbit, while I was researching laziness statistics, there was an advertising banner that popped up on the side of one of the websites I was looking for for a product called, I'm going to get this right, Lazy Cakes Relaxation Brownies. They were trying to sell me Lazy Cakes Relaxation Brownies, so I clicked on it, obviously for sermon research, and I... And I'm reading through their website, and they claim that everything in their relaxation brownies are legal in all 50 states. I'm skeptical, but that's what they said. <clears throat> it's almost like you could pull statistics for whichever camp you, 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 you lean towards, whichever tendency you lean towards. It's almost like a, a fight or, or a, a disagreement between two parties. There's actually an NPR article uh, back in 2011. The author Linton Weeks writes this, the battle over how we spend our leisure time has turned into an all-out war between two extreme camps, those who use it and those who snooze through it. The divisiveness continues today. <clears throat> Some Americans exercise religiously, others grow more obese. Some go to night schools, others are diverted by video games. Some believe that computers and the internet have made us lazier, others aver that technology has increased our productivity. Pick your statistics, make whatever case you want. I would actually submit to you that each one of us <clears throat> doesn't have a tendency towards just one of those ditches or the other, but both. How many of you, I'm not gonna ask you to show your hands, but how many of you have had that experience where you've worked and worked and worked and worked and then you collapse in exhaustion and all you wanna do is just be lazy and, and veg out for hours or days at a time? If we're being honest, I think we, we sometimes find ourselves in one or both of the ditches. Because the Bible tells us that we as humanity have had a, a pretty messed up relationship with work almost since the beginning. God, in the, in the earliest pages of the Bible, Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth. God made everything that we see. He spoke it into existence. He formed the man out of the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into him. He formed the woman from the rib of Adam, and then he placed them in the garden. This is what it says in Genesis 1.28. He placed them in the garden. He said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Uh, does anybody here have a garden or like landscaping that you work on? How many of you know it's a lot of work to subdue the earth? That's a lot of work. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We actually see that Adam is put in charge of naming all of the animals. Does that sound like work? Managing a database? Question for you. This verse... Is this before or after sin entered into the picture? It's before. Work, contrary to how you feel on some Monday mornings, work is not a result of the fall of man. Amen? God is a God of work. God is a God of activity. Jesus said of his father, my father is always at work. When we work diligently, when we work steadfastly, when we work joyfully, we are actually Imaging, we are reflecting the nature and character of our God. Did you know that? But there's, there's a problem because in Genesis chapter three, the man and the woman decided to rebel against God. They did not follow his commandments. They did not listen to him. They chose their own path. And as a result, mankind fell into sin. And we often talk about the fall into sin. But one of the aspects that sometimes we might overlook is the fact that God cursed work for the man as a result of the fall. Look at what it says in Genesis 3, 17. 
To Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all of the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. Have any of you ever felt like that at your job? Have any of you ever felt like that? I'm working, I'm, I'm trying my best, I'm doing my hardest. I wanna produce something beautiful, I wanna produce something fruitful, but all that seems to come up is thorns and thistles. My friends, that's a, a result of the effects of the fall of man and the curse. That still, the effects of this curse are still uh, seen present witness to this day. Thorns and thistles that shall bring forth for you, you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Let me propose to you that both workaholism and laziness are our man-made, self-made attempts to deal with the curse of Genesis 3. The workaholism tendency says, oh yeah, ground is cursed, watch me. I can take this curse on. It's a, it's a prideful attempt to overcome a, a word of God, a word of judgment from God that can only be dealt with in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Workaholism says, no, I'll deal with it. Laziness is a fearful running away, not gonna avoid, not gonna deal with it at all. I'm just gonna avoid it. Work is hard, work is painful, so I'm gonna not image God the way that I was created to in any way, shape, or form. I'm just gonna not deal with it. Both workaholism and laziness are man-made attempts to deal with this curse. Now, our passage today uses the word rest 10 times. Show of hands, how many of you could use some rest in your life? Right? I, my, my wife had a friend visiting from out of town this weekend, and so they were kind of having a ladies weekend away. I had all the kids with me by myself and I made one of the most foolish decisions of my entire life. Yesterday afternoon, I took six kids by myself to Chuck E. Cheese, a place where there is no hope. <laughs> actually, I, they all made it home. They have all their fingers. It was actually a pretty good time. I just wanted to see what a complete soul depletion felt like so I could be really dependent on Jesus when I preached this message on rest, right? I, I know that probably each and every one of us at some level, there, there's rest that is needed. Maybe it's practical, but I, I would be willing to bet more that for many of us, it's our hearts. We need rest in our soul. Now this passage speaks about this rest, but, but like I said, it's, it's, it's a little bit confusing and nonlinear. Here's the big idea. The big idea of this passage tonight is that God gives rest to those who are united to him through faith in Jesus Christ. God gives rest. One of the great promises, one of the great outworkings of the gospel is that those who are united to God through faith in Jesus, you can have rest today. You can, let me hear me, let me, hear me again. I hope you need good news because that's really all I've got for you tonight. You can have rest today. But because this passage kind of twists and turns, meanders a little bit, it's non-linear, what I'd like to do is I'd like to take this passage a little bit out of order tonight, and I'd like to highlight for you five different types of rests that our author speaks of, five different ways in which he speaks of rest and how these all point to our ultimate rest that we have in Jesus. The first type of rest we can see is in verses three and four. For we who have believed that rest, and who have believed, enter that rest. 
as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken somewhere. I find that very funny because the author of Hebrews knows exactly where. It's like, bro, why are you saying somewhere? That's like when a preacher just says, oh, the Bible says. They're just too lazy to think of what the reference is, right? Not me, but other preachers I've heard. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Over and over in this passage, you see that the rest is spoken of as being God's rest, his rest, or God says, my rest. They shall not enter my rest. It's God's rest. The somewhere that he's referring to here is from Genesis chapter two. Right after the verses we already read, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter two, verse one, it says this, thus the heavens and earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now let's apply some logic to this church. Is God exhausted? Is, thank you, right answer. God is not exhausted. He, he didn't get done creating and think, wow, I'm the supreme sovereign God over all of the universe, but boy, that just really tired me out, right? Or like Pastor Travis would say, that plum tuckered me out or whatever, right? God here is not resting the rest of exhaustion. He's resting the rest of satisfaction, I'm pretty sure you've had at least one experience in your life where you, you worked on a job, you worked on a project, and then you finished it and you stepped back and you said, it's done. And in a, not a sinful way, but you could kind of be proud, you know, proud of it. Like, hey, good job. That's, that's something to take some pride in. Take pride in your work, right? Not in a sinful way, but in an appreciative way. It's kind of like that. God creates heaven and earth. What does he say when he's, when he's done creating? It's good. God himself blesses it, said creation's good. And so he rests from his work of creation and he, he does no more work until after the fall of man, God gets back to work on his second great work, the work of redemption. But here God is resting. Did you know that God is not only a God of work, God is also a God of rest. He himself rested. You know, that this, here's the implication you could worship and glorify God by not doing anything. Just think about that. Did you know you could worship and glorify God by intentionally Sabbathing, by intentionally resting? Is that good news to any of you? I, does that actually, I, I'm not gonna make you raise your hand, but does that actually make a few of you uncomfortable? Well, but what would we be doing? I know it does that for me. In the, the character of God, there is a restfulness. Yes, he is always at work, but yes, he rests. And you and I can image God by intentionally resting. Think about that. We actually see this on display in God's people in the next type of rest, Sabbath rest. Look down in verse nine of chapter four. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest, there it is again, his rest, has also rested from his works as God did 
from his. This is the next type of rest, this Sabbath rest. And Sabbath is a bit of an, of an interesting term. It's an Old Testament word. It's a Hebrew word that simply means to pause or to cease or to stop. And God gave this, this gift of the Sabbath to his people and you read about it all throughout the pages of the Old Testament and then you get to the New Testament. You hear the word Sabbath a bunch in the Gospels and in Acts because it says things like, it tells stories and it says things like Jesus and the disciples were going to such and such a place on the Sabbath. Did you know that in the rest of the New Testament letters, there are only two verses that speak of the Sabbath? It's hardly even brought up. It's hardly even mentioned. One of them is in Colossians. We'll look at that in a minute. And the other one is right here in Hebrews chapter four. What is the Sabbath? Like what is it at its core? There's three things. The first thing is this. It was a gift from God to his people. When God gave the people the Sabbath, it's in, it's in Exodus chapter 20. It's in the giving of the 10 commandments. Think about what had been happening. God had just freed his people from 430 years of slavery. When you are a slave, how many days off do you get? Zero. How many paid days do you get off? Zero. How many paid days working do you get? Zero, right? For, for centuries, these people had been working morning, noon, and night. They had no rest. They had uh, someone with a whip or a stick chasing them down if they didn't work hard enough. And here, God frees them. God takes them through the Red Sea. He takes them out into the wilderness. They meet together at the mountain, and God says, all right, get this. One day, no work. I think this would have been a really hard commandment for the people of Israel to hear, don't you? Well, what are, we, what are we gonna do then? God's like, get this, nothing. How about trusting in me? How about worshiping me? It's a gift. It's a gift to these people who were slaves, who just worked. And look, at, here's, here's how gracious God is. Let me read this for you. This, this commandment, by the way, Exodus 20, eight through 11, the commandment of the Sabbath is the longest one in the 10 commandments in terms of just words, it's almost like God's like, I need to just go on and on about this so you really understand how important this is. He says this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We know that part. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Okay. On it, you shall not do any work. Now listen, this, this is where it gets interesting. You shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter. Okay, so you can't make your kids do your chores for you on the Sabbath your male servant or your female servant. That has implications for, for people who are business owners, right? Working people into the ground, not, not on the Sabbath. Or your livestock, the animals get a day off. Do you see the graciousness of God? You, shan't, you won't do any work, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner, the one who's come looking for asylum, the foreigner who's dwelling in your midst. You can't exploit or take advantage of them either. They get a day off. They get a Sabbath. Isn't that amazing? And then it roots it in creation. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that's in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Sabbath was a gift from a loving and gracious father who said, my people, it's not gonna be like it was back in Egypt. We're gonna do things differently. The second thing that the Sabbath is, is it's a sign. Exodus 31, the Lord says to Moses, you shall keep my Sabbaths 
for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. Now, here's the thing about a sign. A sign points to something, right? A sign, a sign isn't the thing itself. A sign points to something. What's it, what's it pointing to? It's a sign that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Put another way, that you may know that I, the Lord, save you. Every single week, you're gonna have a day where you remember that there was a time where mankind existed in a perfect relationship with God and with work and with rest. And now things are very messed up. And every week you're gonna have a reminder that I, the Lord, sanctify you. I, the Lord, save you. That you need help. It's a sign. It's a sign pointing to the fact that we have gotten ourselves into a mess and we really need a redeemer. The third thing that the Sabbath is, kind of two things glued together. I'm cheating a little bit here. It's both rest and worship. A lot of times we think about the Sabbath as just not working, but no, the Sabbath is a day also where we worship. In the, in the Ten Commandments, what we just read, you, you shall remember the Sabbath day and what? Keep it holy. That means there's worship that happens on the Sabbath. There's time of reading the scripture. There's time of, of acknowledging your sin before God and receiving his grace and forgiveness. Yes, it's rest, but it's also worship. I, I believe that this, this two-part understanding of the Sabbath is what helps us sort out some of the controversy that sometimes happens with the Sabbath. Did you guys know that the Sabbath has historically been one of the more controversial topics in the history of the church? People get really... Uh, 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 up in arms about this topic. In particular, the question, are Christians obligated to keep the Sabbath? And we forget about this two-part division. Let me just say plainly and bluntly, should you rest one day in seven? Yes, you should. You absolutely should rest one day in seven. Humanity, made in the image and likeness of God, was not created to just work perpetually. You will burn yourself out. You need a regular rhythm, a regular day of rest because that comes from God all the way back at the beginning in creation before there ever was sin. Now, how do we live out the Sabbath as far as it goes to worship? We're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. But it looks differently. Just give you a little teaser where we're going. It looks differently after Jesus. It looks different after the cross and the empty tomb. We got one more to look at first. Promised land rest. Go with me to verse five. This is the third type of rest that's spoken of here. Verse five, again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Okay, this is one of the more confusing arguments in this passage. The author of Hebrews is literally just strung together Genesis 1, Exodus, Deuteronomy uh, he strung together Psalm 95, a Psalm of David. He strung together, he brought up Joshua, who's, uh, you can read about him in the book of uh, Joshua, right? He, he just strung together all of these Old Testament passages to make this argument. Here's, here's what he's doing. There's two things going on. The first thing is he's talking about this promised land. 
The promised land was a land of rest. The promised land, the, the people called it a land flowing with milk and honey. That's, a, that's an agricultural way of saying better than thorns and thistles. Milk and honey, thorns and thistles, which one do you want? The plants will do well. The animals will do well. This is going to be a good place. But here he's also answering an objection. Here's, here's what the objection would have sounded like. Excuse me, Mr. Uh, author of Hebrews. You keep saying that these people shall not enter the rest, but, but you're forgetting that all those people died off and then Joshua led the people into the rest. So how can you say that they didn't enter the rest? We did. We made it into the promised land. We made it into Canaan. So, so how can you say that we, we haven't entered this rest? To which the author of Hebrews responds, he says, yes, Joshua did lead the people into the promised land, but centuries later, King David, writing a psalm under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, today, do not fail to enter into his rest. Why would they be looking for a new rest if Joshua had given them the ultimate rest? What the author of Hebrews is saying, the promised land is great, but it's not the end of the world. There's a greater rest still to come. Keep looking forward. Keep looking for something greater. The promised land, as wonderful as it was, it too was just a sign pointing toward a greater reality. It too was just a sign pointing forward to something still to come from God. And what is that? Read this from Peter O'Brien's quote. He says, our author thus acknowledges that the Old Testament rightly understood announces the temporary character of the rest in Canaan and looks forward to a future final rest of God. So this is our fourth type of rest. Verses one and two. Therefore, while the promise, by the way, anytime you see the word promise in your Bible, you really should underline that. That's gospel language right there. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that all of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. God makes a lot of promises and they all come true in Jesus. While the promise, what's the promise? Of entering his rest still stands. Let us fear. There is a, a good and healthy type of fear, not a crippling fear that causes us to shrink back, but a, a type of fear that says, I don't want to miss out. Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. He's concerned for each and every person, any of you. I, I feel similarly to this author. I want each and every single one of you to experience this rest of God. For good news. There it is, church. Gospel, good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. There is gospel. There is good news here. There is good news that the Sabbath that we have been looking for is now available in Jesus Christ. Mark chapter two Jesus has a, a run-in. This is Jesus speaking on the Sabbath. Jesus has a run-in with the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day. And I'll paraphrase the story because uh, for the sake of time, but he's going through the grain fields and he and his disciples start picking heads of grain and eating them, which was a breaking of the non-biblical extra man-made rules and laws that the religious leaders had put together. The Bible says you shall rest. The religious leaders made all sorts of other rules to make sure the people really rested. 
And Jesus and his disciples were walking through the field. They picked heads of grain. They ate them. The religious leaders said, why are, you, why are you doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Jesus puts them in their place by quoting a story about King David from the Old Testament when he ate the bread. And then he concludes with this one-two punch right here in verses 27 and 28. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What he's saying there is the Sabbath is a gift from God to his people. And by your artificial man-made rules, you have turned it into a burden. So Jesus is rebuking the religious leaders. But then that's not enough. The, the religious leaders weren't irritated or mad enough. He goes one step further and he says, so the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Let me, let me put that in another way of speaking so you can see how shocking this would have been for them to hear. I'm in charge of the Sabbath. That's what Jesus is saying. You think that would raise a few eyebrows? I'm in charge with the Sabbath. I think it was, I think it's John MacArthur that says, what can Jesus do with the Sabbath? Whatever he wants. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. What's he going to do with the Sabbath? What, is this, what does this mean? That, that Jesus is now the Lord of the Sabbath. Does that mean we throw the Sabbath out and get rid of it? Does that mean we're not obligated to keep it? No. Jesus says you're going to experience now at a deeper level than you ever thought possible. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find, what's the word, Sound City? Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. That word yoke is, is still the language of work. There still is work to be done, but he says my yoke is easy and my burden is light and underneath all of it, your soul will be at rest. Church, because of our sinfulness, we have, we have all spent time and effort trying to prove ourselves to God, trying to justify ourselves before God. All of our works in, in our sinfulness, our works come from a motivation of fear. I hope I have done enough good that God will forgive me, that God will love me, that God will accept me. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus, through his perfect life, through his sacrificial death on the cross, and yes, through his victorious resurrection, has done all of the work necessary to secure our salvation. And you and I could leave here tonight knowing that we are acceptable to God, not because of our works, but because of the works that Jesus did. I hope somebody needed some good news tonight. That is the gospel. That is the hope, the promise of the gospel that our souls can be at rest because Jesus gives us his rest. Jesus gives us that promised land that we've been searching for. You know, interesting side note, you ever wonder why Jesus' name is Jesus? I mean, of all the people he could have been named after, of all the characters in the Old Testament, why not Abraham? Why not Moses? Why not Jonah? You know, we say Jesus. That's an Anglicized or, or, or English way of saying. You know what Jesus' mommy would have said? Yeshua. Joshua. Jesus is our Joshua who takes us into the promised land. That's our leader. That's our Jesus. 
Jesus is our Joshua. It's actually interesting when we get to Hebrews chapter 11, there's this big long list of all of these names, all of these heroes of faith in the Old Testament, conspicuously missing from any of it is Joshua. And then you turn the corner to Hebrews chapter 12, then let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who goes before us. Jesus is our Joshua. The rest you've been searching for, the rest your soul desires, it's only found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean now? How do we, how do we keep the Sabbath? Colossians 2, the apostle Paul is writing. He says, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. What he's in essence saying, the apostle Paul is saying, look, after Jesus, you can have the freedom or the conviction to honor the Sabbath in, in a lot of different ways, the, the external trappings are less important. What really matters is that you're focused on the substance, Jesus Christ. Like I said earlier, should you, should you take a day of the week and rest and, and cease from your labors? Absolutely. How countercultural would that be, by the way? How, how much do you think you would freak the people out at your office if you said, oh yes, I, I honor the Sabbath to keep it holy? Just an idea. But at the end of the day, what the Apostle Paul is saying, you can keep a very orthodox Friday night to Saturday night Sabbath. You could keep your Sabbath on Sunday. You can keep it on different days of the week. The most important thing is that you do it in genuine devotion to Christ. Genuine devotion to the substance, the one in whom we find the true rest that our souls need. And it's so important, just by way of reminder, that this rest, it comes through faith, not through works. For verse, uh, verse two, we already read it, but it said, good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. United by faith. Our rest doesn't come through working hard enough. Our rest comes through placing our faith in Jesus Christ. If it sounds like I'm repeating myself, I am, but it's because we are so prone to slip back into our old ways of trying to prove ourselves before God. Some of, the, some of the worst workaholics that I have known in my life are people who could quote you, oh yeah, saved by grace, not by works. But when you examine their life, it doesn't line up with what they profess to believe. It only comes by faith. Or in verses nine and 10, we saw there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Did you know that your works can be restful? We now as Christians, we abandon that whole fear-based motivational scheme. We want, we want to have nothing to do with it, amen? We don't want to say, I hope I can do enough works so that God will love me, so that God will accept me. We're done with that. We say, God has loved me. God has saved me through Christ Jesus. Now I am free to do good works that are pleasing to him and bring life and bring joy to my soul. That's the Christian's motivation. Joyful response, loving obedience. We will have nothing to do with that fear-based, I hope I do good enough. Because we have faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's good news, right? But wait, like the infomercials, but wait, there's more. <laughs> There's still one more type of rest this passage speaks of in verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Oh, there's still, there's still more. 
There's still more, an eternal rest. Let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Did you know that a day is coming when Christ will return? At the cross, Jesus broke the back of Satan and he defeated the curse that we saw in Genesis 3. However, we live in this overlap of the ages where we still see the devastating effects of sin. We still see some of the effects of the curse and one day Christ Jesus will return and he will put to death all of sin, all of suffering, all of the curse and our relationship with God will be made 100% whole, 100% Visible, not just faith, but sight, the Bible says. Are you looking forward to a day free from the curse that's on our work? Are you looking forward to a day of eternal rest? Are you looking forward to a day when Christ returns and we spend eternity in perfect relationship with God forever? And just so we're clear, by the way, so I don't want you to believe the Hollywood or the, the cartoon version of heaven, right? Sometimes they show you just kind of sitting on a cloud forever. That's boring. We just say that, that's boring. That is not biblical, that's boring. The Bible says that we will be a kingdom of priests forever. You know what a kingdom means? It means there's ruling. That means there's administration, leadership, projects, things going on. Do you know what priests do? They worship God. We will have plenty to do in the new heavens and the new earth. We will have plenty to keep us busy. We will have jobs. We will have occupations, but it will be perfectly at rest, perfectly at peace with God. Author uh, Randy Alcorn says this. I like this quote. He says, regular rest will be a part of the life to come in the new universe. But he says there's a problem. Part of our inability to appreciate heaven as a place of rest relates to our failure to enter into a weekly day of rest now. By rarely turning our attention from our responsibilities, we fail to anticipate our coming deliverance from the curse to a full rest. Church, how many of you are longing for that day? Not only can our souls be at rest today, but one day, all of the striving, all of the fighting, all of the just devastating effects of sin, they'll all be done. Can you imagine a world in which we don't turn on the, to, the, the news and hear about whatever terrorist attack just took place? Or can you imagine a world in which we're not uh, seeing uh, the effects of racial disharmony and discrimination and prejudice and and poverty and and refugees. Can you imagine a world that doesn't have the word refugee? Because God has gathered all of his refugees into his holy city and we're at peace forever? Church, that's what's coming for us. And right now, when we Sabbath, when we worshipfully rest, we get to anticipate that future day. Have you ever thought about your day of rest as spiritual warfare? telling the enemy, you don't get the last word. The last word is God's rest. All of these types of rest, you see how they grow? It starts with God having rest in himself and then giving a day of rest to the people of Israel and then giving a land of rest to the people and then giving all of God's people rest in their souls in Christ Jesus until a day when the world is gonna be at rest. Do you see how it grows? Do you see how it keeps pointing to something bigger and better? I love that. So let me just ask you this question. How do you need to rest? Today, I imagine there are some of you here who you do need to rest, practically speaking. You need to learn how to take a day off. Some of you need that that practical application. Others of you, 
You take a day off just fine, but, but God's inviting you into a deeper place of rest in your soul. Because even on your days off, you don't feel restful. Some of you here tonight might not be Christians. And there is an invitation from the God of rest to come to him and to receive his rest. No more fear, no more striving, no more trying to impress God or earn his love. You can know that it's yours in Christ Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Believe that his works on the cross were sufficient. They're enough. Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished. It's done. No more. You can know that your soul is at peace with God. There's an invitation. Your prayer doesn't have to be anything eloquent. It could be simply, God, I'm exhausted. And you said in Jesus Christ that I could have rest. I'd like to take you up on that offer today. Close with these words from from Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher. He says this, do not tell me that there is no rest for us till we get to heaven. We who have believed enter that rest even now. Why should we not do so? Our salvation is complete. The robe of righteousness in which we are clad is finished. The atonement for our sins is fully made. We are reconciled to God, beloved of the Father, preserved by his grace and supplied by his providence with all that we need. We carry all our burdens to him and leave them at his feet. We spend our lives in his service and we find ways, his ways to be ways of pleasantness and his paths to be paths of peace. Oh, yes, we have found rest unto our souls. I want that for you, church. Each week when we conclude our time of teaching from the scriptures, we, we respond. We invite you to respond. and we, We're going to do our normal response in just a minute, but I, I thought, I think it would be appropriate for us in response to this word that we just heard to take a minute and just rest before the Lord. You guys think we could do that? <laughs> let, me, let me just ask you this. How uncomfortable do you think we're gonna feel sitting quietly and silently for 60 seconds, Right? Again, we're so used to noise. It's a great opportunity to check your phone, actually make sure it's on silent. I think we should just take a minute and rest. The Holy Spirit is here present with us. He is going to bring the application to your heart in a specific way for you. We're gonna take God up on that invitation. So I'd like to invite us to do this. Let's take just one minute. I invite you to close your eyes, take a deep breath and allow the Holy Spirit to minister rest to your soul. Let me pray. God, I pray right now you'd help us to calm ourselves. I know even even right now for myself, there have been thoughts this evening of what's coming tomorrow? What's on the calendar first thing in the morning? What do I gotta get done this week? God, I pray that we would lay those things aside right now and even for just a minute, you would help us, God, by your spirit to just rest in your presence and in doing so, worship you. Church, let's just take a minute now and hold in rest.
God, we all need your rest in greater measure. For some of us, we need that creation rest, that practical rest of just taking a day off. God, for for most of us, we need that rest in our souls in in deeper measure. Would you help us to, to drink deeply of the rest that is offered to us? And I pray it wouldn't just be a minute here or there, but God, we would we would enjoy the rest that is ours in Christ Jesus. And we look forward to a day when Christ returns and we experience that rest forevermore. Amen. Church, let's continue our time of response. The, the first thing we're gonna do is give a, of our tithes and offerings. And so I'd like to invite the financial stewards to come forward. If you're a guest or a visitor, you're not under any obligation to give. You're welcome to if you'd like. But this is something we're gonna do as worship to God the God who's given us everything, the God who's given us his very best in Christ Jesus. And so I uh, encourage you to give generously. <clears throat> While they're collecting the offering, let's go over a few discussion questions, things for us to talk about in our homes and our community groups this week. First one is just kind of one of those be honest questions. Where do you see yourself falling into either of the two ditches of workaholism or laziness? Second question, what are we to fear? Look in verse one. And what are we to strive for in verse 11? Notice how there's some instructions given kind of right at the beginning and end of the verse of the passage. And what is the result of us not listening to these instructions? Number three, how is Jesus our ultimate rest? And as Christians, how can we experience God's rest each and every day of the week? And number four, how can we as a community encourage one another to live in God's rest? And are there practical ways that God is asking you to help others experience his rest? A couple things to pray about as well. Pray that Jesus would help our own hearts experience uh, the gospel rest and the finished work of Jesus we've been talking about. But then also pray for non-Christians. Pray for those that you know who don't yet know any measure of the rest of Jesus Christ. So be, be in prayer. We're also going to respond with a celebration of the Lord's table. This is for Christians. Even if you're a guest or a visitor, you are welcome to join us at the table. If you are not a Christian, the invitation stands. Give your sin to Jesus. Receive his rest. Join us at the table for the first time as a Christian. But at this table, we remember that Jesus' body was broken. That's the bread. And that his blood was poured out. That's the wine or the juice. And we remember that in his broken body and blood that was poured out, we find rest for our souls. And he is the the healing of the world. And we're going to sing. And I want to invite you, when we, when we sing, I often just invite you to stand and let's come forward and, and jump in and start singing. This, this first song that, that Pastor Joe and, and Tim are going to lead us in, it's, it's sung from the perspective of Jesus, really from that passage in Matthew that we quoted. It's an invitation from Jesus to experience his rest. And so I want to give you permission tonight to not jump right to your feet and come right forward for communion, but, but maybe you want to just sit for a minute and listen to the words of this song. Maybe you want to sit for a minute and just continue praying before you come forward for communion. I, I invite you to do so. So let me do this. Let me pray. You can remain seated. Communion servers can get in position while I pray and then we'll respond when you are ready. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this, this message. We thank you for this great hope of rest. I pray right now, God, you'd help us to enter in. I pray you'd help us to respond in a way that is worshipful to you pray all of this in Jesus' good name. Amen.